You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. And we are live with the Standing Room Spartans podcast. Your host, Kevin Parker, your co-host, Scott Martin, here on a Wednesday morning, recruiting this, uh, recording this, recruiting this. I already got some of the, the mailbag questions on my mind here. We are recording this on Tuesday after work, so early evening here. And uh, we, Jesus Christ, the the last like three days of college football have been an eternity's worth of news. On top of that, we just got dumped the defense and special teams, all Big Ten teams. We'll get to all of that. We have a tremendous mailbag segment here. We got a bunch of good questions from the Facebook group. Reminder, if you're not a part of it, it's been a lot of fun. We've actually gotten some good back and forth. We got a little spicy here uh, during the mailbag post. So if you're not there, Standing Room Spartans community on Facebook. It's it's a good time trying to keep, you know, some insulated conversation here. Twitter, a lot of things kind of get lost in the shuffle. So uh if you're not there, make sure you are. If you're not subscribed while we're at it, make sure you are. If you haven't told any friends, make sure you do. Uh we we still have a lot of time here before the bowl game and then we have uh the early signing day is in what two weeks? So, I mean, we are right around the corner from a lot of stuff happening, even if the regular season is over. But, Scott, Tuesday, work is finished. I have a beer sitting here right in front of me, and we have an episode here, and I think it's going to be a good one. How are we doing today? Well, I'm excited to be on the podcast again. Like you said, a lot of exciting things going on. Uh, We're back in a Mel Tucker offseason. Last offseason caught us off guard with how crazy awesome it was, I think. And, uh, you know, I texted you sometime yesterday when everything was going down. Jalen Berger was committing everything. We'll get to that. And I said, Mel Tucker somehow managed to make the offseason just as exciting and riveting as uh, the regular season. And uh, we're off to a good start. Like you said, it'll be exciting uh, probably through the new year here. And um, yeah, I'm excited to get into it. Before we do, uh, on a more somber note, uh, the news broke this afternoon that there was unfortunately a shooting at Oxford High School today. I grew up about 15 miles southeast of Oxford. Um, So this is hitting really close to home. Obviously, you know, our thoughts are with the Oxford community. This stuff is happening way too frequently. We're not going to make this a political podcast or anything, um, but I do want to express our our thoughts and prayers to that community 
And, uh, and we're thinking about them today, obviously, both of us from the Metro Detroit area, and this stuff's been happening all over the place, but this is certainly the closest it's, it has hit to, to my community, to our area, and um, definitely scary and sad to see. Yeah, uh, well said. I, I don't really want to add too much to that, but uh, like you like you said, Scott, it's definitely uh, you, you see this stuff all the time, and, and when it's in your area, it, it hits pretty close. So if anybody's in or around that area knows anybody that there, uh, just know that we're we're thinking about you guys. And uh, to to not really a good way to transition from that to to take a hard turn here. It's it's been man, it's been a crazy couple of days. Like we'll, we'll get to the, all the MSU stuff here. Obviously it's, it's an MSU podcast. We'll focus on that, but man, around the country, it's been absolutely bananas recently. And it started with uh Billy Napier going from Louisiana to Florida. And you thought, all right, Florida makes a good hire. You know, the coaching carousel has, has really started. And then all of a sudden, Within a matter of like 20 minutes, the reports start coming out and then Lincoln Riley goes to USC and then Brian Kelly goes to LSU and now the Notre Dame job is open and it's like, I, I don't know what's next, I but I can tell you this, man, I'm really glad that we locked up Mel Tucker right now because some of these jobs that are open, I was going back and forth uh, with with my former coach. My, uh, coach Mack, who has been on the podcast before, we'll have to get him back on here this off season. Um, but he, he was kind of talking about how, you know, yeah, it's, it's great that we locked up Mel Tucker, but you know, it's, it's kind of funny to think about the, the reality that he, he, he said, how many jobs will actually be open, you know, after this cycle goes through because USC, LSU, Florida, Notre Dame, uh, Texas just last year, Oklahoma is now open. How many of these jobs after this cycle are going to be open in the next three, four, five, ten 10 years that would actually be worthy of leaving Michigan state? You know, I, I, I think most of us can be realistic with where we are in the pecking order. Like we're not with LSU and, and USC and, it's it's unfortunately the reality of it. I know that there were some rumors about Mel Tucker to LSU. Um, I, I don't know how really legitimate those were at any time, but you look around, and you're like, all right, if these are all full for the next few years, like there's really not much out there that would even consider get, getting any interest from him at, at this point. So that's nice. I'm glad we locked up our guy and man, it's just absolute madness out there. Yeah. There's still some narratives going around uh, probably mostly in rival fan bases, but, but in general that, you know, did Michigan state overpay for Mel Tucker is his 17 career wins, whatever the numbers at these days, is it, is it really worth paying him that much? And I mean, you watch this stuff right before we started recording. I asked you is, is Mel Tucker even top five, highest paid coaches anymore you know when we, we signed him he was number two in the country behind uh nick saban and people were laughing at us and now i think lincoln riley has passed him if the reports are correct uh brian kelly's at least matched him um and with oklahoma and notre dame now open wouldn't be surprised to see a couple other folks jump ahead of mel tucker as well i mean he set the market now 
And yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm thrilled to have him. He was obviously named big 10 coach of the year today, which we'll get into a little bit later. We're going to talk about that, but you know, having uh, a, a program that we want to be in the top tier someday of college football, you can't have a conference um, coach of the year, leave your program for another program. If you want to be a top tier program, especially in a, a conference like the big 10, you know, you got a group of five coach of the year that gets hired into a power five position. Fine. But if you want to be a top tier power five program, you can't have your coach winning big 10 coach of the year and then getting hired off somewhere else. So it was the right move. Um, they set the market and he's not going to, this, this contract's not going to look ludicrous by the time next season starts. Um, remember, you're also going to see other coaches leveraging this kind of cycle for just extensions and higher pay. So it's not just the new guys that are getting hired to big programs, but it's guys in existing spots, leveraging this to get more, um, it was a good, it was a good move. And I'm glad we have him locked down. Uh, I think everybody's excited and we can just set our sights on next year while everybody else is scrambling. And uh, yeah, it's a good place to be. You know, what else is funny that that draws some parallels with Mel Tucker and the way that he left Colorado is we were kind of talking about this before Uh, some of the reports that are coming out now. um, I just saw this tweet come across the timeline like two minutes ago. Multiple source indicated that Brian Kelly's address to the team on Tuesday morning lasted less than two minutes. He then turned around and walked out. He did not take questions from the players. And there was the Lincoln Riley, like he looked these players in the eyes and told them that he was not going anywhere. Like, can we stop as a, as a, as a culture being so dramatic with these things? Like the Mel Tucker one was, was a a perfect example of that. Like, he was at, what was it like a a booster dinner? And he told them that he wasn't going anywhere because at that time he wasn't going anywhere and he was doing his job. And then he got a better offer. He decided to leave. Like, what, what do you want from the guy? I don't know. Like if, if you, if your boss and your, your employees, you know, if, if you were a manager and, and you had a group of employees and, you know, another company offered you double your pay or, or whatever the case may be. I don't think you would sit there and have a five and a half hour meeting taking questions from all of your employees about why you decided to leave. Like you would, you would have your quick message and say, Hey, everybody, like, you know, just wanted to say, thanks for all the, the, you know, effort and, and time that you've spent with me. And I appreciate everything. And I'm, I'm heading to a better gig and, you know, I wish you guys luck and we'll see you on the other side. Like it's, it's all that needs to be said, right? It's, it's so funny the way that the media covers sports. Like it's, I, I I'm glad that we have this opportunity to, to do our own thing because some of the media members in, in sports media, they're so dramatic, man. And they take it so seriously. It's like, you got to take a step back at times and realize like you're covering a game. Like this is a game. It's, it's a game that pays a lot of money. Sure. But like, it's a game, it's not life and death here. Like we, we can, we can have a little bit of fun with this. We can be reasonable. It's, it's hilarious. Yeah. And of course they always try to act uh, astonished on behalf of the players who are being left behind. And it's like one, the players know this is possible. Two, if a player's going to the university of Notre Dame to play football, he's probably going to be okay. And three, it's just, 
yeah, it's just ludicrous. You know, it's and now we're in the transfer portal age where that player can just be like, all right, well, I'm leaving too. <laughs> yeah, I'll go to LSU and play for Brian Kelly, just like players are already doing going from Oklahoma to USC. Um, it's fine. Everybody's going to be fine. And you know what? A kid needs to learn that sometimes the world isn't fair and sometimes their boss leaves for a better job and they're left to kind of pick up the pieces once in a while. It's a good life skill to have to be able to get through adversity like that. So everyone's going to be fine. And these coaches are humans too, who have aspirations, goals, and families to look after. And you cannot blame them for looking after themselves either because 99% of the media members who are criticizing them, if I don't know, USA Today called them up and said, I'll double your salary. They'd be out the door before they hung up the phone. So they they wouldn't talk to their, you know, uh, group of other writers and editor and, and have a little powwow session about, yeah. Are you guys going to be okay? (laughs) Should I do it? Can I leave? Please give me permission. Uh, it's it's hysterical man but you know we'll get to to some of the kind of fallout of that we have some good questions here about the Michigan State assistants and coordinators and and you know how does this potentially impact us because look the reality is there are going to be new staffs from the ground up you know position coaches coordinators at USC LSU Notre Dame Oklahoma like this is going to have a trickle down effect across college football. Uh, we already saw Virginia tech take uh, Brent Fry, Brent Pry, whatever his name is from uh, Penn state, their defensive coordinator. He's going to start a whole new staff over there at Virginia tech. Like it's the, there's going to be a trickle down effect here. We'll talk about it before we do a word from our friends at DraftKings football fans. It is time here. The, the regular season of the NFL starting to wind down. College football, man, we're down to conference championship games and bowl games. Like this thing has gone by in the blink of an eye. And if you want to get in last minute here on the action, DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, you will be a winner once a single point is scored. It's that simple. New customers who bet just $1 on any team to score can win $100 in free bets. It's that simple. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still get in on the NFL action. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contest. DraftKings is giving away all new customers free shots at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TPPN for the Pigskin Podcast Network, of which we are a proud member. Bet $1 on any team to score, and you win $100 in free bets. If they score, you score. With promo code TPPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older. New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit. $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, so before we get into our questions here, uh, we got a, a big piece of news here. Uh, first of all, I, I just want to applaud everybody who's out there listening who is a member of the MSU Twitter community. The, the commitment to the transfer portal is absolutely absurd and unmatched anywhere else in the country, and it's, uh, it's hilarious, man. Like there, There's the Twitter account that runs like it's a rival's account that just basically tracks the transfer portal, everybody that's entering and committing. And every time I see a post in there about a new player, it, it could be some random like former two-star from Kent State 
and I'll see eight tweets from Michigan state people about it. Like it's, it's impressive the way that we keep up with this thing, but we do have an announcement in that, uh, you know, this is a few days ago now, so it's not entirely new news, but we don't record every day. Jalen Berger from Wisconsin. There, there have been rumors and whispers for a little while here. He has been a target of the staff basically from the day he entered the transfer portal. Um, obviously, you know, when we look at the ties here, he was, um, he was with Wisconsin and we, I'm blanking on the name here. Um, our basically, what do you want to call it? GM Saeed Khalif player, director of player personnel coming over from Wisconsin, who he was a part of, of recruiting Jalen Berger, um, knows, I'm sure knows the story knows what is the reason that he decided to leave the program, got kicked out of the program, whatever the case may be there. Um, I'm sure he's got the full story and I'm sure he was somebody that Mel Tucker went to, to sign off on it. Now, uh, with that said, Jalen Berger, former four-star recruit out of New Jersey, he led the Badgers in rushing back in 2020, obviously the shortened COVID season, 300 yards. He only played in four games, but he rushed for at least 87 yards in three of those games. I was going back and watching some tape here today uh, of him playing Michigan and Northwestern. And he's got, he's got some talent for sure. I mean, the, the way he's a pretty patient runner, he's not Kenneth Walker. So please don't expect him to be Kenneth Walker. Um, but he, he does have, I think the best trait that I saw from him is the throttle from one to two, right? It's, it's not the zero to one, but it's the one to two that, you know, he's hitting the hole, he's moving. And then all of a sudden he hits that second gear. Um, and, and it's pretty sneaky. So I, I like the ad Scott, uh, Jalen Berger. I don't know if you've got a chance to, to do some digging on him. He was a Doak award watch list guy going into this year, uh, before, you know, shit hit the fan and he left the program but uh what are your thoughts on the Jalen Berger ad yeah I mean great piece to start to likely replace Kenneth Walker obviously we don't know 100% that Kenneth Walker is leaving we are all expecting it um and that leaves a big hole in our offense I don't think anybody would would argue that um like you said this he does not fill out Kenneth Walker's shoes entirely I I expect there will be maybe another transfer addition at running back or uh, another recruit signing at running back. Um, but definitely a great start. He's, he's got the speed to turn the corner. He's kind of crafty in between the tackles. And like you said, when he gets a hole um, and he gets through to the second level, he can, uh, he can turn on the jets a little bit. He, he does have breakaway speed against a lot of defenses. I don't know if he's going to be outrunning every defense in the big 10, but uh, but does have quite a bit of speed. Um, yeah, I think it's a great addition. Obviously, he has a history at Wisconsin that I'm sure MSU's coaches and, and staff is far more um, informed of than anybody on Twitter or any rival's uh, message board. Um, so if you trust Mel Tucker, you got to trust that he's got the story and, and thinks this kid deserves a second chance at Michigan state. And I think um, it's certainly a great addition to start rounding out that stable of backs for next year. Yeah. One, uh, one transfer portal entry down. I'm sure there will be many more to go. I, I, I don't remember who we have and haven't mentioned. 
Uh, Michael Dowell has entered the transfer portal intending to leave Michigan State. Uh, obviously, defensive back. He's played quite a bit for us here. Um, a guy that obviously we wish well. Uh, I would I, I would really love him for depth purposes. Like I think he's a he's a solid player. Um, but you know, you look at the reality of the situation, Darius snow has, has effectively taken his spot in the nickel. Um, and I think he has kind of realized that. So Michael Dowell is gone. Emmanuel flowers also announced his intentions to leave the program and, and entered the transfer portal, another defensive back. So, um, interesting note there, but yeah, Jalen Berger's coming in. I'm sure he will not be the last. Uh, I don't think that any season will be, you know, quite to the levels that we saw last year in terms of of this staff using the portal to fill out this roster. But look, the transfer portal, I, I think coaches are realizing like this is a really good way to find proven guys who can step in right away. You know, like when when you're bringing in a recruit from high school, you don't really know what you're getting. You're getting an 18 year old who hasn't filled out his frame yet, who, you know, hasn't been in a college weight room who you don't know his work ethic. You know, some of these guys you can bring in and you talk to the coaches and you talk to, you know, these guys around the program and, and you know exactly what you're going to get. You're going to get a guy who, who's, who understands what it takes to be a division one college football player, whether that's in the film room, the weight room on the practice field and, and whatnot. And, uh, and I think it's a really effective way to build out your roster. And I think, you know, coaches are realizing that. So while I don't think we're going to add like 20 guys or whatever it was last year, I think realistically speaking, until any of these rules change, you're going to see three, five guys just about every single year as, as a minimum. And that's kind of the way I'm looking at this is, uh, you know, like for example, this year, we all know we need defensive back help. Well, how many DBs are in the portal right now who you know have college experience and could come in and play right away for you? So it's a good way to build out the roster. And, and Jalen Berger is the first of, I'm sure, quite a few guys here for this year. Yeah, no, I, I think you said it perfectly. This is here to stay. Uh, it's a tool available to teams and obviously available to players as well to find the right fit. And Mel Tucker's been using every tool available to him to, to get this roster into shape in uh, kind of his vision of it. So one quick note on Michael Dowell. I know he is leaving, obviously, like you said, we wish him the best, but just from a tea leaves perspective, um, Xavier Henderson's name wasn't on the senior day graphic uh, on Twitter or wherever you saw it. So some people were reading into that. The expectation was that Xavier Henderson, once he left, would likely have his spot filled by Darius Snow at you know that box strong safety position leaving the nickel open um maybe Xavier Henderson has decided to stay or is deciding to stay or might decide to stay which would push snow back down to nickel for a year and and take maybe a spot that Michael Dowell had his eyes on for next year um again tea leaves take it as however you will but another sign potentially pointing towards another year with Xavier Henderson in this defense, he does have one more year of eligibility should he choose to take advantage of it. Yeah. Because of that COVID year, we have to remember like, um, you know, he, he is a senior who has played, you know, more than the allotted, what is it? Four games in every year of his career. He played in all 13 games as a freshman, sophomore, uh, junior and senior. 
but because of the COVID year, he's got an extra year of eligibility if he wants it. And I'm sure I speak for most Michigan state fans and say, we'd love to have him back. Um, so that is interesting. We have a, a bunch of good mailbag questions to get to here. Scott, is there anything else that you want to bring to the table here before we dip into it? Are we covering all big 10 defense before or during the mailbag? Uh, let's get to that now. So I'll, I'll tee it up here with a question from uh, where was it? It was on Facebook here. We have our guy three, two, one. Okay. It's going to take a second longer. Here we go. Salim Babrao, Brab. Uh, I messed you this up last time. This. Babrawala. There we go. There we go. Salim Babrawala from the Facebook group. Uh, he brought a good question for us. He said, can we get a general conversation between the two of you about end of year accolades? What are the overall odds or chances of K-9 winning the Heisman Trophy and or Doak Walker? Is Mel Tucker a lock for National Coach of the Year? And where does Jay Johnson stand in regards to the Broyles Award? Now, he didn't mention the All-Big Ten teams, but we do have the All-Big Ten defense and special teams. So first, let's start with what he brought to the table and then we'll take it there. So uh, with in regards to the Broyles Award, they announced their finalists uh, either today or yesterday. Jay Johnson was not on that list, so unfortunately he is out of the running there. Uh, but, uh, you know, he was a nominee. He, he had a hell of a season, but not, not a part of that. Mel Tucker, obviously Big Ten Coach of the Year by the media and the coaches. So National Coach of the Year? Um, I think he's got a shot. I mean, if you're the the Big Ten coach of the like, you look around the country at who would be the other candidates. Um, Kirby Smart for sure. Uh, Luke, Fickle. Luke Fickle for sure. Uh, other than that, I mean, uh, I'm blanking on his name at uh, Oklahoma State. How Mike Gundy has been doing a hell of a job here this year, but Mel Tucker's definitely right in there. I wouldn't say he's a lock but I think he's got a good shot and Kenneth Walker winning the Heisman. Uh, I think, I think he will win the Doke Walker. I, I feel pretty good about saying that. And I'm hoping I'm not jinxing it. Kenneth Walker winning the Heisman. This isn't really a conversation of should he, or should he not, but will he, or will he not? I, I just don't think he will. And, you know, it kind of sucks but it's, it's where we're at. I'm looking right now at uh, Heisman Trophy odds. Bryce Young is minus 210. C.J. Stroud plus 550. Aiden Hutchinson plus 550. Kenny Pickett plus 1,800. Kenneth Walker plus 2,000. And we kind of talked about that after the Ohio State game that that ended his chances of winning it. Now, can he, should he, and probably will he still get invited to New York as a finalist? Um, I think so. Can he win it? I, I think that bridge has been crossed. I, I don't think that's a realistic situation right now. But um, could he get to New York? I, I still think that's definitely in the cards. Yeah, I I agree. I think he, it was unfortunate. He got banged up for the Ohio state game. And that's the only reason he's not in the conversation anymore from what we saw from Michigan and what we saw from the few spurts of running the ball we had against Ohio state. I think he could have had a pretty good game. 
I think he could put up 150 plus in a couple, potentially a couple scores if we had any success moving the ball in a couple of the drives, which would have kept him in the conversation. Penn State, he had an opportunity with a really big game to put his name back in the conversation. He had a pretty average game for a Heisman candidate, 140 yards and a touchdown. That was pretty much his season average. Um, he averaged, I think, 136 yards a game and he had 18 touchdowns, so touchdown and a half a game. Um, it just wasn't enough at the wrong time to take yourself out of that conversation. Um, and the reality now is if Bryce Young has a good game against Georgia, it's his award. If he totally blows it, which he could, Georgia has a great defense. CJ Stroud sitting right there. Aiden Hutchinson with a monster game against Iowa is sitting right there. I don't think he should be in the conversation, but I might be a little bit biased. The reality is he is in the conversation now because Michigan's peaking at the right time and he's the best defensive player in the country, at least in the second half of the year. Um, Kenny Pickett, that one's kind of out of nowhere. I mean, he's got a great statistical year, but when you look at just what individually the player's done, I think Kenneth Walker should certainly be ahead of him. But the, the problem is it's just there's a lot of horses in the race. A lot of them are playing in a conference championship which gives them a ton of leverage. And even if all of them kind of, you know, lay an egg, CJ Stroud sitting there with a, a great season of work on the books with no way to screw it up now. So it's just, it's too much of an uphill battle. I think he should be in New York. Will he be? I don't know. Uh, this feels like, a, I mean, you call it disrespect, whatever, a snub, like it feels like it could happen. Let's say Aiden Hutchinson has a monster game, gets a few first place votes steals that third or fourth seat at the table prepare yourselves yeah we already saw jabril peppers as heisman finalist it's it's happened in the recent memory getting a michigan defender in there i just want to make a public service announcement and this is nothing against aiden hutchinson i don't want to be like the michigan state talking head that this kid is a freak show he is a stud he's going to be a top five nfl draft pick however if we're talking about the Heisman Trophy, this is what's frustrating about Bryce Young as the Heisman Trophy finalist, whatever favorite potentially winner. He's not even the best player on his own team. Best player on his team is Will Anderson. And I don't know how many people have been paying attention to this, but he's a, he's a pass rusher for Alabama. I'm just going to real quick rattle this off. I don't want to spend too much time on it. Um, Aiden Hutchinson total tackles 54 will Anderson 76 Aiden Hutchinson sacks 12 uh, will Anderson sacks 13 Aiden Hutchinson tackles for loss 14 and a half will Anderson tackles for loss 25 and a half if any defensive player is going to win the Heisman this year it should be will Anderson and it feels very strange to say this Alabama guy is getting slept on um, but if, if Aiden Hutchinson somehow gets like, I, I would be appalled. I don't think it's ever going to happen. If Indomitian Sue didn't win the Heisman, a defensive lineman will never win the Heisman. And what sucks is that knowing Heisman trophy voters, I guarantee you there are, there's like 900 voters out there. I guarantee you there are more than 10 or 20 of them that have already submitted their ballot for Bryce Young and don't even care what he does against Georgia because they're like, well, I just want to make sure that I get my vote in and I'll, I'll do it now. And 
it sucks. I, I, I wish the Heisman trophy voters took it more seriously, but let's take this uh, Salim's question to Michigan state, big 10, uh, all big 10 team defense and special teams were announced. Scott, you have those names in front of you. Uh, if you want to read those off and then give your instant reactions here. Yeah. So we already mentioned Mel Tucker, big 10 coach of the year, according to the coaches and according to the media, um, ruffled some feathers in Ann Arbor down I-96, but, um, I think it's the right move. I mean, this is just really quick. I'm sorry to cut you off. When, when we talk about the coaches vote, do you think that there's any chance in hell that Jim Harbaugh is ever winning a, a coach's vote coach of the year? Like the, I feel like every coach in the big 10 hates that guy. It's hard to say. I mean, we get caught up definitely right in, you know, the Twitter sphere and the, the fan conversation and certainly fans make it, but, and who knows what Jim Harbaugh is like behind closed doors. But that said, I mean, I don't know. I think Mel Tucker's a heck of a lot more of a coach's coach than, um, than Jim Harbaugh but Mel Tucker your Big Ten coach of the year according to everybody uh for this year Aiden Hutchinson did win defensive player of the year uh probably rightfully yeah so shout out to one Michigan player I'm not going to give you all the Michigan honorees uh I do think it's stupid that David Ajabo won first team linebacker because he's not a linebacker but I digress uh Michigan State players so we'll start with the coaches uh, Jacob Panashuk, the only uh, defensive player in the first three teams on the second team. Honorable mentions, Quaveris Crouch, Xavier Henderson, and Jacob Slade. Uh, sticking with the coaches poll here with special teams and specialists. Bryce Berenger, second team punter. Great to see that. The Big Ten was stacked with punters this year. So really happy to see him get that recognition. Obviously, he wasn't on the Pro Football Focus one that I tweeted out yesterday, but this is the one that people really pay attention to. No offense to PFF. Return specialist, second team, Jaden Reed. Um, Some people were calling that a snub because Charlie Jones at Iowa, nobody really knows who the hell he is, but uh, at least not in the MSU circle. I looked up his stats. He had a great year. He had a touchdown. He had like 900 return yards, uh, but he also had like infinity returns uh, this season. So whatever. I mean, realistically, a lot for return specialist, a lot of folks are just looking at stats. Um, Jaden Reed basically single-handedly gave us an opportunity to win the game against Nebraska, which certainly should be um, considered. Nonetheless, second team got some recognition. Um, and the last note on the coaches poll, the big 10 sportsmanship award honoree, there's one from each team. Connor Hayward got Michigan state's, um, honors there. So well-deserved Connor Hayward's character arc continues to evolve. All right. The media side, again, we'll start Jacob Panashuk second team. Uh, the third team had Jacob Slade and Xavier Henderson. Not surprised to see those guys. I'm going to come back to Jacob Slade in a second. You mean Xavier Henderson, the Michigan Wolverine, right? <laughs> we'll get to that in a second, too. Uh, defense honorable mentions from the media, Quaveris Crouch, Cal Halliday, and Darius Snow. So Darius Snow making his first appearance on one of these, which I think is also well-deserved, and I'm glad they've been paying attention. Um specialists again Bryce Berenger and Jane Reed second team same guys in front of them 
And the special teams honorable mention, Matt Coughlin, got a little bit of recognition there on his way out. So great to see that. Um, as far as snubs, as far as instant reactions, I think Jaden Reed easily could have been first team. I don't have a problem with Bryce Berenger being second team. Jordan Stout is every bit the punter Bryce is. No offense. Also, there's rumors Bryce Berenger might be coming back next year. So uh, file that away for the offseason. Um, no, the only snub that I really thought was Jacob Slade. Uh, he got third team in the media. He was an honorable mention in the coaches. I mean, this dude was playing first team ball all year. The line is the defensive line positions to be specific is a little bit finicky because they don't make a distinguishment between defensive end and defensive tackle. Obviously there's a lot of great athletic defensive ends who have a lot prettier stats than defensive tackles. So it's not always uh, easy to get that recognition at tackle. Jacob Slade was a top two to four defensive tackle in the conference this year. Um, almost every game making huge impact plays production from the interior, which a lot of guys, it's really hard for them to be productive. They're great at eating blocks, but don't really get their hands on the ball carriers. I thought Jacob Slade deserved to be in the first two teams. Um, and I was bummed to see him lower than that. Other than that, no real gripes. Yeah. We gave Jacob Slade a couple game balls this year and it just, he kept showing up game in game out, making plays. And like you said, they're, unfortunately he comes away with 34 tackles three tackles for loss one sack one pass defense and uh one fumble recovery so you look at the stat sheet and you're like all right well it's decent but if if you watch the games you know how much of an impact he makes um whether it's redirecting a running back out of his hole or or forcing a pressure on a quarterback that doesn't end up resulting in a sack because he's not quite fast enough to get there. But, you know, we all know that he, he forced a negative play. Yeah. Jacob Slade. I, I, I agree. Definitely deserved better. Um, I thought Cal Halliday was going to sneak his way onto a third team, but I, I can't be mad at the difference between an honorable mention and a third team. Um, I, I won't be that guy that's bitching and complaining about that. Um, other than that, I mean, I, you know, the whole defensive line, other than Slade, it was a bunch of just good quality performances and not really much of a standout thing. Jacob Panishuk was on pace for a huge statistical year and then kind of cooled off at the end of the year when it comes to sacks and tackles for loss. Uh, Simeon Barrow, unfortunately, got hurt. I think he would have had a good, really good shot at, at getting on one of these teams if he stayed healthy the whole year. Um. Yeah, other than that, I mean, it's it's hard to argue for many of the defensive backs after, uh, you know, just the optics of the defensive backfield for most of the year. But I'm really glad that Darius Snow at least got an honor, honorable mention shout out because uh, he played some really good ball here towards the end of the year, especially. Yeah, I thought one other guy that got slowed down a little bit, not upset to see him not on this list, but Drew Beasley was on pace to have a phenomenal year. Unfortunately, it looks like this was his last year. I don't know if he had the option to take advantage of one more year or not. No, I but think he... he was already like a grad senior. Yeah. So he was going to have a great year and maybe part of the reason Jake Panashuk slowed down is because Beasley got hurt and they could give him a lot more attention on one side of the ball. But um, Drew Beasley in the games that he did play, 
had a monster impact when he was healthy and uh, shame to see him obviously miss a good chunk of this season. I don't know exactly how many games it ended up being, but he was, uh, he was playing great ball while he was in there too. Yeah. So uh, we have the offensive awards coming out tomorrow. Uh, We will be, we will be posting this in the morning. So you might be listening to this before it comes out. Uh, We saw Jaden Reed in the returning uh, game. I I think that he's got a really good shot to get on one of the teams as a receiver. Um, Other than that, I mean, Scott, any predictions, obviously Kenneth Walker is going to find himself up there. Uh, I'm curious. I, I want to start with Peyton Thorne. I think he's he's like the the um, the turning point here. Does he get on one or both of the first three teams? Because I I think he'll definitely get at least an honorable mention. But do you think he gets on first, second, or third team? Yeah, it's tough. Um, obviously, C.J. Stroud is going to be probably unanimous right. first team, right? And then you've got a smattering of guys between Peyton Thorne, Aiden O'Connell. Um, I guess you could throw Cade McNamara in there, potentially Taulia Tagovailoa, which seems ridiculous, but I'm only saying that because pro football focus already had them in, in their top three teams, or maybe he was the honorable mention, but top four quarterbacks, they didn't have Peyton Thorne on there at all. Um, I think he deserves to be in the top three teams, but deserve and actually win or be you know honored as as two different things the the thing is it's just he's right there in a in a second tier of big 10 quarterbacks that are all kind of even and and you never really know where the votes are going to go especially in the media it's probably going to go towards the guys in their divisions or on the teams they're covering just because they have more exposure to them um it'll be interesting to see i fifth fifth in the big 10 in passing yards third in touchdowns and third in yards per attempt so like statistically he would be potentially right up there for like the third spot if you know if you're just looking at the statistics qb rating he was also third uh but it's a pretty slim margin between there's like peyton thorn aiden o'connell adrian martinez and talia tungavailoa and even Cade mcnamara like we're all pretty darn similar when it comes to the passing stats yeah so we'll see um I wouldn't be surprised if he's not on both. I would be surprised if he didn't at least make third team on one, Um, but yet to be seen back to Kenneth Walker, certainly first team running back. If he's not first team running back, we have a problem. My question is Kenneth Walker or CJ Stroud for offensive player of the year. I, I mean, it's impossible for us to do this without bias, but I, I think Kenneth Walker just has done more with less because CJ Stroud, like we, we talked about it a lot off the air, not necessarily on the air because we don't want to diminish his accomplishments. He's had a hell of a year, but he's throwing to three first round wide receivers. And so when you're looking at who had the most outstanding individual performance, I don't know how you could look at that objectively and say it was anybody other than Kenneth Walker. And I, I don't know, like I, I, it's really hard to draw the line of like, where does the credit go to the quarterback and where does the credit go to the supporting cast? But I don't know if you could, if anybody around the country, including Ohio state fans, could watch this Ohio state offense and think 
yeah, man, this is all on the quarterback because he is, he is special and he is having a special season. I just have a hard time saying that. I think anybody who is watching this Ohio state offense is like, man, it's a really good scheme to get these wide receivers open. And these wide receivers are so good. And, you know, CJ Stroud to his credit. I mean, he got better and better as the year went on. I think he's a really good quarterback, but individual performance, it's Kenneth Walker. It has to be. Yeah. I mean, my biased ass agrees with you. Uh, It's hard to know how biased we are. CJ Stroud getting a lot of national attention. So especially with the media folks, it's going to be hard to keep votes away from him. Um, he's, you know, the, the quarterback of the best team in the, well, quarterback of the best offense in the conference. Can't say the best team in the conference because they're not even in Indy, but um, yeah, I, other than that offense, Jaden Reed should certainly be first three teams, Hopefully, first two teams, first fifth, team, fifth would be in the tough. Big Ten in yards and fourth in touchdowns and fourth in yards per uh, yards per catch. So he'll easily have, be on one of the first three. I think he should get on the second team. I agree. I think first team you've got um, Jackson Smith and Jigba and David Bell and maybe Jahan another Dotson. Jahan Dotson, maybe another Ohio State. Probably all three Ohio State guys will be on the top three teams. I'm going to say probably one on each team. (laughs) Um, But Jaden Reed should be up there uh, on the first two teams for sure. Beyond that, um, none of the tight ends. um, And the line is is a toss-up. J.D. Duplain could be up there as, as a guard potentially. Um, maybe just an honorable mention. We'll see, but that's if so Jared hard. To Horse played the whole year. I think he would be on there, but unfortunately, you just don't know who the media away. or who anyone's really paying attention to on the line. Right. Um, and the Big Ten's full of a, a lot of pretty darn good offensive linemen. So that'll be kind of a toss up, but uh, we'll see. Yeah. So, and I think Jalen Naylor will be an honorable mention. Just, you know, he got injured. The stats won't be there, but he's second in the conference in yards per catch. Like there's enough redeeming qualities. He had that incredible game against Rutgers that I think people remember. It'll be an honorable mention, but he definitely hasn't done enough, you know, to, to be warranting a spot on one of these teams. So let's transition from there to a pretty loaded mailbag here. And I want to start with two dueling comments here. Uh, well, I'll, 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 I'll read off both of these questions. These were from the Facebook group, Standing Room Spartans Community, because they're both touching on the same topic and they're very opposite takes. So you have first Sean uh, Vergoven, who says, do you think it's time to end the Harlem Barnett defensive backfield or to end the 4-2-5? polite way of saying fire Barnett or Hazleton and Scott L Brown in a separate comment in question says, what's the biggest area of concern on the offensive side of the ball going into next year. We'll get to that. Assuming Reed and Walker are gone. Now this isn't a question, but a bitch. The idea that any coach on this team should be fired after the year they just had is beyond ludicrous. I mean, you've seriously lost touch with reality. There's uh, only one stat that matters and that's wins and losses. Last time I checked, we went 10 and two. We were expected to finish dead last in the conference. Give them time to build a program. We're not going to compete with Ohio state's talent level overnight for the love of God quit with the quote fire coaches BS here endeth the rant. 
So these were back-to-back comments in the mailbag thread. Got a little spicy. I love it. Um, Scott, so starting there, defensive coaches, uh, should anybody be fired? No. We won 10 games. Like Scott Brown said, the only stat that matters at the end of the day is wins and losses. We won 10 games in a season we were predicted to not even win five by Vegas um, and others. And the only way firing people is not the only way to improve a football team, especially when the staff and these players have only been working together for two years. It needs time. Firing a coach is when you've given them chances, you've tried different things and it just continues to not work. It is not the answer when you're trying to sort things out with new players, with minimum experience, with injuries across the board and against some of the best passing offenses in the country. On top yeah, I got of that, it. I'll, I'll cut it off right here because I got it right in front of me. Uh, in terms of passing, so everybody references we're 130th out of 130 in passing yards allowed per game. We played against five of the top 13 passing teams in the country in terms of yards per game. Number one, Western Kentucky, number four, Ohio State, number eight, Purdue, number 12, Miami, number 13, Maryland. We also were dead last or first, I guess, however you want to look at it, in passing attempts per game against in 47.6. The next highest was at 39. If you just kind of do some basic math and say, all right, uh, usually college quarterbacks are thrown about seven, eight yards per attempt. That's an extra 60, 70, 80 yards just from the number of passes that people are throwing against us. And sure, are they throwing a little bit more because we're not as good at pass coverage? Yeah, you can make that argument. But this all goes to say like it it was we need some context with the 130th out of 130 pass it like there needs context here people so i'll let you finish yeah i mean that's where i was going with it we're not the worst passing defense in the country we gave up the most passing yards per game in the country that's all you can read into it that does not make us the worst passing defense in the country we were playing with leads a lot we were stopping the run really well and yes we had a weakness in stopping the pass so naturally they were throwing a lot on us and we weren't first in the country in yards per attempt against, we were in the middle of the pack. I think we're somewhere around in the sixties, right? Kind of dead center. So our team has a weakness and it has strengths. And of course, teams are trying to exploit that weakness. We still won 10 games and, and you made the point, our top four corners this year essentially had no playing experience. Um, and are new to the scheme. Chuck Brantley was a freshman. The transfers from the SEC spent most of their time injured, barely had any game time, if they had any at all. Marky Lowry hadn't played at all, I don't think, in college ever. Uh, Kalen Gervin obviously transferred out, had plenty of experience, but wasn't around for most of the year. Um, these guys are new to the program and also have their own weaknesses. I mean, there's a reason... Ronald Williams isn't starting at Alabama because he wasn't the best corner on Alabama. So you can't expect new players to come in with their own weaknesses in a new scheme, playing against teams that want to throw the ball against them and are some of the best throwing teams in the country. 
and expect them to just put together a beautiful season. It's going to take time. And at the end of the day, if we're winning 10 games, while we still have to sort out a massive um, weakness in our game, that's great news. And, uh, and I think these coaches absolutely deserve the opportunity to improve next year. Yeah. Look at, like you said, uh, just to reinforce the point, like look at our defensive backfield and who we were playing out there. So in this four, two, five, playing five defensive backs and four out of those five spots were taken by guys who weren't experienced in that position, whether it was our outside corners who, like you mentioned, Kimbrough, uh, Ronald Williams, Chuck Brantley, Marky Lowry, none of those guys were experienced at all coming into this season. Our slot corner, uh, our nickel guy, whatever you want to call him, Darius Snow had basically just played on special teams before this year. Our free safety, uh, Angelo Gross, hasn't really played that position in college yet. Last year, he was playing really close to the line of scrimmage and in, in kind of a more of a nickel role. Like none of these guys were familiar with the positions that they were being put into or experienced in the positions they were being put into. It takes time. Like give it a little bit of time here, people. Like we we all talked about last year being a year zero for Mel Tucker and this being the real year one. I wasn't necessarily on board with that, but if we can call it like a year one and a half and we're tending to at the end of the day, our defense, like when you look at the total yards allowed and the total points allowed, more importantly, it wasn't that bad. Like we're talking about firing people. Like this is outrageous to me. Um, and, and when we talk about ending the four two five, like, I don't think that's warranted at all. I, I think the four two five, you know, if if we're talking about the base, you know, formation, like it it performed pretty well because we talked about it after the Penn State game. Like when we only had six guys in the box and and we really went too high and we still were able to stop the run because we have a good defensive line. And I think the 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 system in terms of just pure formation is is perfectly fine do do we need to figure out this pass defense and and make it better of course we do but to talk about firing people to talk about you know needing to make these these big moves like that's that's outrageous man so i'm more with our boy sl brownie here than our guy uh sean who you know appreciate the question i just I, I can't get behind that line of thinking. I, I really don't understand it. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, if you look at the staff and you ask who's the closest one to losing their job, sure, Scotty Hazleton, Harlan Barnett, although I think you'd be hard-pressed to fire Harlan Barnett. Um, that guy the Michigan State I'll, fans that did royalty. Dude, I'll say it right now. If, if Harlan Barnett got fired today, he'd be hired by another big program in less than a week. Yeah, so... Certainly they have a lot to prove. They need to improve next year, but um, I certainly don't think it's time to be having that conversation right now. Everyone on this coaching staff helped this team get to 10 wins. Um, And there's something to be said for that. Um, And they were just the, the weakest link on a strong chain. So we'll see what they can do next year, but Kevin, I think it's time for a new question. Yeah. uh, Let's go to, uh, you know what? Let's, let's kind of follow on a similar train with these two guys. Uh, Sean asked based on Kenneth Walker leaving and Jalen Reed leaving, which he assumes uh, Jaden Reed, sorry. um, 
what are your way too early projections for the win total next season? And Scott L. Brown uh, says, what is the biggest area of concern next year on the offensive side of the ball, assuming Reed and Walker are gone. So we'll kind of tie these two together and saying like, okay, next year, let's say Reed and Walker are gone. What does this offense look like? And if we want to throw out an early win total or um, just kind of look at, at a general, what does this mean for the offense or team next year as well? So, Priority number one is to establish a running game that can somewhat fill the shoes of Kenneth Walker. Um, You know, Jaden Reed's important, but we have other proven wide receivers. Kenneth Walker, we've said it time and time again on this podcast that he did a lot on his own this year. Um, The offensive line, I still don't think had a particularly great or potentially even good year this year. And we're going to need backs that can create for themselves. We've seen what this offense looks like with guys like Eli Collins and Jordan Simmons. And certainly it's looked a little bit better with those guys this year than it did last year, but nonetheless, they're not Kenneth Walker. So we're going to have to find a running back that can replace them. And Jaden Reed, the biggest thing here, and I know a lot of people like to laugh at the the Peyton Thorne to Jaden Reed comments and, you know, them going back to middle school, whatever, Losing that connection stinks. I mean, you that that Penn State touchdown that won us the game last weekend, that I attribute to the connection that the two of them have. Peyton Thorne doesn't throw that ball or doesn't throw it with as much confidence if his guy isn't on the other end of the pass. So how do you establish that connection with the wide receiver core again? I'm not worried about the talent level of the wide receivers behind Jaden Reed. I think Jalen Naylor is still a you know, potential all big 10 candidate next year. Montori Foster has been showing flashes and we know the guys coming in or that we already have behind them can make plays and have been making plays in spurts this year. So from a talent level, wide receivers will be fine. Uh, Running backs, we're going to need some help there. I expect the transfer portal to help there Um, to get kind of really right into the questions here and trying to answer them. uh, The biggest area of concern on the offensive side of the ball for me it doesn't revolve around either of those positions. It is still the offensive line, especially if we don't have a running back who can create like Kenneth Walker can because we need a running game. And if that offensive line continues to struggle and continues to get injured, we did get hit by the injury bug in that area quite a bit this year. Um, Can we move the ball on the ground at all? I don't know if we can or not, but that is my biggest area of concern. My way too early projection for win total. This is not written in blood, so don't hold me to this. It'll probably change a million times this offseason. But right now, off the top of my head, I'm going to put it at nine. I think it's really hard to replicate what we did this year. I think I don't like the word lucky, but I think we got a few breaks this year. I think we snuck out a few games that could very easily that the coin could have flipped the other direction. And we still are in the toughest division in football. So I'm going to put it at nine. I don't think the running game is as strong as it was this year. And that alone, I think maybe is the difference between a 10 and a nine win season. Yeah. And, and I'll echo a little bit of what you said, like with your concern with the offensive line on top of what you already mentioned there, Matt Allen is gone. Blake Boyder is gone. Uh, AJR Curie is gone. Luke Campbell is gone. And, and you can say what you will about you know, those guys being, you know, all big 10 performers or not, but those are at at least starting caliber or at least good depth pieces on any team. So I I think losing those guys is huge. You have to replace 
that you have to replace potentially Jarrett Horst. We have no idea what's going on there. Um, you know, we, we have a lot to figure out on the offensive line from a group that has, has struggled for the last five, six years. This year was definitely better than, than what we've seen in, in the last few years going into it, but um, still a position of concern, uh, like you mentioned, and probably the, the group that I'm most concerned about just because of that. It's, it's been the group that struggled the most, and it has a lot to replace. That's usually two things that don't mesh super well. Um, do we have guys kind of waiting in the wings? Spencer Brown played quite a bit at tackle this year, uh, having to just fill in on, on uh, due to injuries and stuff. And, and that was exciting. He's been a guy that we've talked about since his recruitment as just a really exciting prospect, given his athletic background and, and his frame and everything. So um, I think there are guys, you know, this, this previous, this 2021 class was loaded with a bunch of good offensive linemen. Um, Gino Vandemark that we talked about, Ethan Boyd, uh, there, there are guys that you're not really sure. Are they ready to play Kevin Wigginton? But, um, I, I think there were some exciting prospects in that class last year as well, but not proven. So, uh, you know, kind of like what you mentioned, there are some receivers that I think are exciting. There are more incoming wide receivers, wide receiver is one of those positions where if you can play, you can play. So true freshmen are typically, you know, wide receiver is one of those spots that you see true freshmen excel right away compared to other positions. And Antonio Gates uh, is coming in. And then a bunch of these athletes, Jerron Glover, possibly Winfield, we'll get to a recruiting question here in a second, but I think there are some, some help on the way. Uh, if Reed were to go uh, early, early win total, like you said, uh, way too early. We don't even know what the schedule is hundred percent looking like they're still moving some stuff around due to COVID. Uh, but I, I think nine is a good estimate. I, I just think that Ohio state, we, we can probably still chalk up as a loss. I don't think we're ready for that kind of game yet. Michigan's on the road. Penn state will be on the road. I'm pretty sure we're bringing in Wisconsin this year in the crossover. Like there's a lot of tough games on the schedule. I know we go to Washington. Um, I'm going to have to see the schedule before I give really anything, but nine feels like a good number. Uh, just given what we're losing, what we're bringing back. Um, to get into the recruiting question, because I, I, I think this is really interesting and there are a couple levels to this. I, I want to bring in like what could happen to get us here, because I think there's a really easy answer to the question. Uh, but Spencer Dayton on Facebook said, give us your recruiting hot takes. Do we snag Goodwin in a couple weeks? What about Winfield or Perkins? Also, do you think Mel Tucker can eventually get us to an OSU level in recruiting? parentheses consistently top five and always top 10 end of parentheses question mark <laughs> that's loaded um i'll start there and then we'll get into some of these guys we're still looking at for this 22 class um never say never but i would be tempted to bet my mortgage that michigan state will never average a top five class uh, will never be consistently in the top five of college football recruiting. That is 
that is a table reserved for the all-time elite programs. We're talking about Texas, Alabama, Ohio State, USC, Florida, Georgia, Michigan. Yeah, top five is a stretch even for them. Top 10 always, again, there are some serious names at the top of that list, Notre Dame, uh, that it's very hard to dethrone them. I mean, they've had they've had long stretches of terrible football where they still continue to recruit well because of the brand and the name that they have. And in Michigan State's not there yet. It would take a serious spell of success to always be in the top ten of the college football recruiting rankings. Um, that said, I think always being in the top 20, consistently being in the top 15 and occasionally being in the top 10 is very realistic. Um, with a little bit of serious success, talking about making legitimate runs at net winning national championships could even surpass that. But I think right now that's, I mean, Kevin made this point before we started recording that Michigan state's best class ever since they started recruiting rankings, I think in the early two thousands was 15 and that's ever Um, Mel Tucker's pretty close to that with the 22 class. He's in the high teens. It's been bouncing around anywhere from 16. I think right now it sits at 19 in the two, four, seven composite. Um, But being consistently in the top five and always in the top 10, I mean, let's just pull back the reins a little bit. All right, let's, let's focus on consistently being in the top 20 and then we'll see where this thing goes. Um, that said, some guys, some names to, to keep an eye on. So we're going to play a little stoplight game here with the, the blue chips that we're still looking at that were mentioned in this question. You've got Harold Perkins, and I'm just going to go based on the 24-7 composite listed as the number 11 player in the country, regardless of position in the 22 class. You've got Keonta Goodwin, number 30, and you've got Armani Winfield, number 174, a little bit lower. So just looking at where things stand now, Harold Perkins, I gave a red light. If we somehow land him, give Mel Tucker another raise because that dude's got an offer from everyone, everyone. Um, it's and we were leaning the game with him too. I think we only offered him like two weeks ago. I think it was, yeah, it was like six weeks ago. Um, and he, he went to schedule a visit really quickly, which is obviously a great sign shows. He at least wanted to see what we were about, but he's already leaning heavily towards Texas A&M. He likes Texas. He likes LSU. Although who knows where that stands with new coaching. Um, and that visit didn't even end up happening and he, they're rescheduling another one, but it's like, it, it, no, it's, it's not yeah. going to happen. <laughs> it's, it's the type of guy you want to have someday. Certainly anyone would love to take him. I just, we're, we're late to the game and he's got the pick of the litter um, and he's got relationships well-developed by now. So red light for Harold Perkins. Agreed. Uh, Keonta Goodwin, yellow light. I I feel okay, um, but this one's really up in the air. He's taken he's he's been committed to Kentucky forever, um, but he's been taking official visits all over the country this fall. He just visited Alabama. He visited Michigan. He and he scheduled his final official visit with Michigan State. Uh, December, I think, 9th through 11th that weekend. So about four or five days before National Signing Day. So we're going to get the last at-bat with him. Um, 
I I want to be excited, but going up against those those names, I mean, it's just it's tough to compete. One thing that's important for him is early playing time, and I think we're going to lose pretty much all of our tackles uh, for this year. So he certainly could find the field next year. Um, very athletic six, eight, three forty is what he's listed as. And this dude is an athletic six, eight, three forty. So certainly would find the field if he chose Michigan state, which is important to him. So yellow light. I love it. I think he's a great fit. Just a lot of heavy hitters that we're in competition with Armani Winfield green light. I think this dude's going to be a Spartan top 200 guy would be the top recruit in our class based on who's already committed. And, um, yeah, this dude's going to be electric six, two, one eighty, supposedly. Um, I think the crystal balls have already come in mostly for Michigan state. He said he is officially decommitted from Texas where he was committed, said he's going to make his final commitment on signing day. So December 15th, a couple weeks from now, keep an eye out. I do think he's going to be picking up the Spartan head and, uh, putting that hat on, on the 15th. So, uh, there's a couple more names I want to just make mention of, but Kevin, those three, any, any difference of opinion there? No, I'm, I'm pretty much right there with you. Like you said, with Keonta Goodwin, that's a huge name that we've been on for a little while here. And I, like you said, I think getting the last crack at the visit, I, I just, I got a good feeling about Goodwin. He was there in on the field for the Michigan game, which if if you're going to bring in an, a, a recruit and, and welcome him into any atmosphere that we've had this year, that's the one, obviously. And and he saw that right up of close in person and getting the last visit. I, I just I got a sneaky feeling about that one. I, I feel good about it. Maybe a little bit too good, but I feel good about it. Like you said, the playing time is there. He'd start day one for us. So. Uh, Winfield, all the crystal balls have been heading to Michigan State for Winfield. I think that's only a matter of time before he announces. Uh, but other than that, Caleb Coley, uh, cornerback from Georgia, he apparently runs a 4 3 40. All the crystal balls have been heading to Michigan State. That's one that should be announced. Uh, defensive end Zion Young, 6 5. He's got like an 80 inch wingspan. Uh, he decommitted from West Virginia. He should be announced soon. And then other than that, there are a few targets out there, but you know, if, if you're just kind of keeping an eye on what's heading down the pipeline, those are definitely the guys. Yeah. And Caleb Coley, I wanted to make a quick note of, he was on my list as well. So crystal balls coming to Michigan state. He recently decommitted from Vanderbilt. So Vanderbilt may not impress you too much, but when you look at this kid's offer list, which by the way, I think is a much better barometer for the ability of a kid than just whatever rating he has offers from Clemson, Wisconsin, Auburn, Georgia, uh, Miami, Mississippi State, Ole Miss, Tennessee. Uh, I mean, pretty much the entire SEC aside from Alabama. So, I mean, you know, if the if the co- if the teams with the top five, top ten classes like a kid, and he's coming to Michigan State, then count me in. I think this dude's probably a little better than his rating. And uh, I think it's obviously a position that we need a lot of help in. So like you said, I think that one's coming down soon. Zion Young's exciting, maybe a little bit more work involved on his technique, but I don't trust anyone more than I trust Ron Burton uh, developing someone into a, a contributor. Uh, one more name, Andrew Paul, 
uh, running back kind of up and coming on the recruiting lists from He's Dallas. He's a fun watch if you want to yeah. go check out those highlights. So he was really under the radar, but then recently, a few weeks ago, offers just started flooding in. I mean, Michigan State offered him. Piegler got on that. Auburn was was big on him. Uh, a couple other, I mean, Houston, Purdue, not the same offer list as Coley, but definitely some power five interests from some big names. And um, obviously running back, we mentioned we're going to need to keep that pipeline full. So if you get the chance, check out his highlights. He's got some serious burst and, and an exciting kind of under the radar guy. Yeah. And the, the last thing, so I, I, because I spent some time thinking about this, and I, I'm with you. I, you, you mentioned the programs that are up there with, you talk about top five, top 10 recruiting. Like, do I think it's realistically going to happen? No, but I, I spent some time. I was, I was coming home from work today and I'm like, all right, let, let me give this the time of the day. How does this happen? Because Oregon went from not on anybody's recruiting radar to not, you know, always top 10 and consistently top five, but pretty darn close. And, you know, to get to that level, I started to think like, all right, what needs to happen? First of all, you need a head coach who wants to do it. And, you know, it sounds simple to say like, well, of course, every coach wants to do that. That's not true. We had a coach for a long time who wasn't interested in playing that game in Mark D'Antonio. And, and he, he had his process. He evaluated the talent uh, out there. Uh, he didn't necessarily go after the big dogs unless they were in his area. You know, we got a Will Golston, but he was in our state and it, it happened to align properly. If Will Golston was born in Georgia, we wouldn't have gotten him. Um, so you, you have to have a coach that's, that's willing and interested in doing it. And I think we have that, you know, we we've heard from almost two calendar years now, Mel Tucker, this is, this is the whole thing he's here to do is recruit. He recruits every single day. You have to have somebody with that mindset who's, who wants to be number one recruiting class in the country. We have that check. Uh, number two, you need relationships in the South. Unfortunately, the reality is that we are located in mid-Michigan. And while there is talent in Michigan, and there is talent in Ohio, and there is talent in Pennsylvania, the majority of the talent is down south. And you can yell at your radio right now or your headphones right now and saying, well, there's plenty of good players up here. There are. But just look at any article and any graph and any chart that will tell you how many NFL players and where they're born. Most of them are in the south. And so, you know, if you're a school up north and you're trying to convince a kid to come up to East Lansing, Michigan and play half of the season in 40 degree weather, it's, it's going to take relationships and it's going to take a, a really strong willed, you know, coach who's going to keep, you know, pushing and keep pushing and keep pushing a kid to come up to East Lansing and play half of his season in 40 degree weather. And between Mel Tucker and his time at LSU and Alabama and Georgia and Jay Johnson has spent time down in Louisiana and Mississippi and uh, Georgia. And then you've got, um, uh, I'm blanking on the name here, new cornerbacks coach, uh, Traveris Tillman spent time, uh, you know, most of his career and in, in life down in Georgia, like you know, we Harlem Barnett was a coach at Florida State, so he's got some relationships down in Florida. Like we we've got some ties down there, 
So you can check that box a little bit. Um, and the other thing is when you're talking top five, top 10, you're not just simply talking about like bringing in great classes. You're talking and bringing in great classes relative to the other great classes that are out there. So unfortunately in, in, in Michigan state, I, I was listening to uh, another podcast at cover three. They were talking about why Lincoln Riley went to USC. They're like, USC is, is a job where it's, you're not reliant on anybody else failing or succeeding to get where you want to go, right? It's, it's a job where if you do your business and you take care of your own business, nothing is in the way, nothing is stopping you. Michigan state is not one of those schools on the recruiting trail. You need other people to mess up and you look around the country right now, LSU just hired a new coach. I think it'll go well. I think Brian Kelly, as as weird of a fit as it might be, this Irish Catholic guy going down to Baton Rouge, Louisiana, I actually think it'll work. But there's a chance it doesn't, and it's a train wreck. Uh, you have Steve Sarkeesian at Texas, who win-loss record this year has already been a train wreck. You have Florida hiring a new coach. You have eventually Nick Saban's going to retire, right? Like in the next two years, four years, whatever it might be, maybe they screw up their next head coaching hire. Um, like you have to have some other things work in your favor and other programs be down, but maybe that happens. And then you can squeeze your way into that conversation. I was trying to like find a way that it happens. And, and we've got a couple of the boxes checked, um, we just need that final boss and that's other people screwing up because unfortunately right now, you know, we can talk, we can have this conversation again, 10 years from now, and maybe we sound like idiots, but right now we're not in a control your own destiny recruiting wise position. Uh, unfortunately, if, if Alabama really wants a kid, we're probably not going to get him, especially if he's from the South. Uh, that's just the reality. So uh, hopefully a couple of these guys botch their hires for us. And, you know, Mel Tucker keeps going with his prog process and, uh, you know, maybe we can get to that position, but yeah, I, I wanted to at least give that the time of day. Uh, last but not least, uh, we, we mentioned, uh, before this, this here podcast that anybody who submitted a question on Facebook, we promised it would be read and anybody on Twitter, we said, well, it's a toss up. I don't think we have time to get to the ones on Twitter but we will give the time for one more question here from Scott DeSander on Facebook. Do you think there will be a change in assistant coaches? How many assistants followed uh, Mel Tucker from Colorado? So first, the, the quick answer, how many coaches followed from Colorado? Well, we had Chris Kapilovich, the offensive line coach. You had Jay Johnson, the offensive coordinator. You had Ross Ells, the linebackers coach and special teams coordinator, and you had William Piegler, the running backs coach. Now, <clears throat> how many of these assistant coaches might be leaving is an interesting conversation because LSU is going to have a whole new staff. Notre Dame's going to have a whole new staff. Oklahoma's going to have a whole new staff. Uh, Virginia Tech's going to have a whole new staff. Like, there are staffs that are going to be trying to poach coaches from all around the country. And from a staff that was hired a year and a half ago and has already put out a 10 and two season, potentially going to a new year six bowl. Um, it, it would be naive to think that none of these guys are at least getting looked at. So uh, Scott, I want to start first of all, like with our coordinators, assistant coaches, 
who are the guys that if you're Mel Tucker, you just got this new pool of money for your on-field assistant coaches. Who are the guys you're circling in Sharpie being like, if somebody's coming after you, I will give you a raise. I'll give you whatever you need. I want you in East Lansing. You're not going anywhere. Well, the first name for me is Jay Johnson. Um, I want to say of our coaching staff, I think he has been the brightest spot this year outside of Mel Tucker. Um, People were critical of him last year. You can throw that out the window. Last year was a mess. Um, But even early this year, there was some smatterings of frustration at times with some of the play calls, not, not games in total, but just specific play calls in specific situations early in the year, we were having trouble converting third and short, fourth and short, things like that. But overall, Jay Johnson did a lot and we still don't have an elite talent base on our offense. we certainly have some great uh, pieces, um, but he did a lot with, uh, I, I think he helped to, make this offense more than it would have been without him. And I think we're off to some, a really good start with him. I think he's got a very diverse playbook uh, that fits a lot of different situations. And, uh, and overall our offense was really good this year by Michigan state standards. The open position I would worry about for him is Louisiana's open head coaching position. I don't know if he fits the mold as a head coach. I don't really know much about what they're looking for. And quite frankly, I don't really know what the rumor mill is like down in Lafayette, but he did spend a lot of time there. um, And I've seen at least one publication link him to the job. So I'd love to keep him around. He was their offensive coordinator from 2011 to 2015. Yeah. So He's been an offensive coordinator for a long time. He's got a lot of experience in a lot of different um, offenses and has generally done a good job at all of them. So he's first one as far as I don't think Scotty Hazelton's at risk right now. Really quick, before you move from Jay Johnson, I, you know, you brought that up before we started recording and I'm like, I just don't know about it. He has been coaching football since 1993. He has been coaching football since a year before I was born. And he has never been a head coach. There's, I mean, there's a very good realistic chance that, you know, at this point in his career that he's just sitting there like, all right, I want to do my own thing here. I want to, I want to take a shot at this. And so if Louisiana comes calling, maybe there's a situation where there's nothing Mel Tucker can do. There's no amount of money because it's just that time in the career arc. Like, look, man, I've been coaching for 28 years and I haven't gotten my own job. Like I need this, you know, and, and maybe there's nothing we can do again. It's all rumor mill stuff right now, but that's something to think about. He is the exact opposite of John Beeline, who I think had never not yeah. <laughs> been a head coach until the Pistons hired him last year. Um, so Jay Johnson, top of my list, as far as position coaches that I would really want to keep around um there's two names and they're both the the line coaches so first and foremost ron burton who is my favorite position coach on this staff and it's not close ron burton is overlooked consistently this dude has been putting together great defensive lines whether it's individual players or top running defenses you know front lines of top running defenses in the country for better part of a decade now did it again this year with not a whole lot of linebacker help behind him with only two guys. I mean, we were still a top 20 run defense in the country and he's got guys like 
Drew Beasley or Simeon Barrow or Jacob Slade, who aren't the first names on your list of the best players in the Big Ten, playing out of their minds. And he has been contributing to Michigan State defenses since D'Antonio and consistently has one of the best groups, position groups on the team. And on the other side of the ball, Chris Kapilovich, I think this is more based on what I've heard about him than, than performance necessarily so far. I think he's still getting his guys and still bringing up some youth and talent. Um, but I really like the guy. Mel Tucker loves and, him. He's our assistant head coach. And I so. think we can all see a difference between the 2021 offensive line and the 2020 offensive line. Like were we elite? No, but there were holes there for, for the running backs to go through. There was good protection for the most part for Peyton Thorne. Like improvements were clearly made. Were we elite? No, but you know, I think we could safely say that if we were averaging out like the entire 130 FBS schools, the last few years, we were probably somewhere around a hundred to 120. And maybe this year we were somewhere around 50 to 60. And that's a huge improvement, right? Yeah. So um, those two top of my list, I think Courtney Hawkins is doing great things with the wide receivers. He recruits well. Piegler, I mean, Kenneth Walker was a running back in his running back group. So say what you will about him. I mean, you got to at least give him a look, but I don't think this is his first year, even as a position coach. So when you're talking about, you know, other um, teams coming, looking for guys for, to fill out their staffs, he's probably not the first one on their lists yet, but I do like what he's done. Um, and Harlan Barnett, you mentioned he's been around uh, the game for a long time, putting together some pretty darn good secondaries. So his name could certainly get called any minute. He did go to Florida state. I was he their defensive coordinator at Florida state. Um, yes. Yeah. He was under, uh, Willie Taggart. I want to say, yeah, which that whole team was kind of a mess. Uh, the defense wasn't very good either, but nonetheless, very respected name in college football coaching circles. And certainly his phone could ring anytime. Love to keep him around. Obviously a Michigan state ex player graduate Spartan dog takes a lot of pride in being from Michigan state. So I think he likes it here, but you never know when the right opportunity comes along. Um, I'd still love to keep him around though. Yeah. So we, about halfway through this episode, we had to turn our video off just to make sure that the, uh, the sound came through. Okay. Cause our, our internet is sometimes shaky. You know, we have to deal with that. Unfortunately, we're, we're working on new systems that might kind of give us a way around that. But when you said two names there, I was like, you know, fist pumping myself that you can't see. That sounded really weird, fist pumping myself. Uh, I was fist pumping, <laughs> and you couldn't see it. Ron Burton, that guy's not going anywhere. I want Ron Burton coaching my defensive line until the day that he decides to hang up the cleats or the the tennis shoes, whatever you say as a for a coach. That guy has done an outstanding job since the day he arrived, and, and I don't want him going anywhere. The other name? who is is not going to be poached away this year or even attempted. He's not going to get any calls this year. I want Courtney Hawkins in East Lansing forever. And I just, I get really good feeling about him. I, I liked the hire when we made it. Um, you know, a guy that played at, played at Michigan State who was at Flint Beecher for the last 
15 years, just about as the, the football coach and the athletic director there has really strong ties, obviously to the Flint community, as well as the, you know, just Michigan community as a whole to the Michigan state, uh, you know, football family. I loved the hire when he made it. And when you look at this year, like on the field performance, I mean, the receivers, we dealt with injuries. We dealt with guys being out. Other guys had to step up. They, they stepped up in a big way. They, they performed their role. We saw Montori Foster take a big step up this year. We saw Trey Mosley make plays that he hasn't in the past this year. We saw Jaden Reed, like as, as much as you kind of mentioned with Piegler, like, yeah, well, he had Kenneth Walker, but what are you going to like? Jaden Reed, I thought made a marked improvement from last year to this year in his ability to go get jump balls, to make one-on-one catches. And I think we can credit Courtney Hawkins for a lot of what the receivers were able to do this year. And you mentioned, you know, I think his asset, you know, him being an asset in in recruiting the state of Michigan is just going to continue to pay dividends down the line here. I think that guy is, is going to be one of those, you know, one of those position coaches that around the conference, they look at and say like, damn, they got a good one there in Courtney Hawkins. So um, other than that though, like, I mean, you mentioned all the guys that I wanted to bring up there, Harlan Barnett, you know, again, we talked about it earlier. If, if he left the Michigan state staff, he'd get, hired by somebody else in less than a week uh, and it would be a big program. I, I really believe that. So um, other than that, one shout out that I want to give is, is Jason Novak, the strength and conditioning conditioning coach, because that's a position that, you know, doesn't really get talked on because it's not an on the field job, but you know, we, we saw it all off season, man, this, this guy has, has really made his, uh, his paycheck count. And, uh, you know, he, he has kind of that new age strength and conditioning philosophy and, and he uses a lot of technology and whatever he's doing is working. So keep, keep Jason Novak in East Lansing. Um, I'll, I'll make my push for that. And, uh, I think he's been doing an outstanding job. You know, we've, we've talked about on the podcast before, but, you know, some of these support people that, you know, they, when we mentioned like the, the increased budget for Mel Tucker, unfortunately it is restricted right now to on-field coaching people, but like Amber Reinstein, the head football performance dietitian, I, I, I would love to keep her around. Like there are some people shout out my guy, Joe Powell, South lion pride, step up, uh, assistant strength and conditioning coach, like keep these people around, man. Um, we'll, we'll do whatever we need to do, but I think we've gone long enough here, Scott. I have no idea when we started recording this. I know when we're going to stop recording this. It's going to be very soon because I think it's been a while. Uh, anything else that we need to hit on here before we get out of here? We're like, we've run through the college football playoff rankings. Uh, Michigan State is 11. So uh, updated news for those who didn't watch the program. But um, anything else here before we get out of here? No, I was going to mention number 11, not a surprise. I think we passed Oklahoma. Um, one question off the cuff, quick answer. Don't need to dive into this. Would you rather Michigan lose in Indianapolis and us oh, not God. make a New Year's Six Bowl or Michigan win in Indianapolis, make the college football playoff and put us in likely the Fiesta or Peach Bowl? 
I, as, as, as much as I would hate it at times, I will always root for my program over rooting for them to fail. Um, so give me Michigan to win. Give us uh, a new year six bowl. I, as much as it sucks to say that I, again, like I, I would rather root for my program to succeed than root for their program to fail. Yep. That's where I'm at. Um, for the same reasons, again, maybe we'll dive into it a little bit more on Friday's episode with the picks. It sucks uh, that that's the way it has to go down, but it happens that way. Sometimes Uh, Michigan earned their seat at the table this year. They're uh, likely going to get their chance to prove themselves. So we will be breaking down the conference championships on Friday, giving our picks. We're going to do, I think we decided to do all 10 FBS conference championships for our picks episode this year. So uh, it is our championship too. You have one point on me. So this, um, this week should decide the, or will decide one way or another, yeah. the, the picks competition that's been going all year. So finally we'll have a resolution there. Water has started to find its water. The last couple of weeks have not been friendly at all to us, but hopefully we'll still finish above that 50, 50 line and uh, send you guys home with some potentially good picks. All right, let's let the people go back to their Wednesday mornings here. Uh, hope everybody enjoyed the episode. It's it's a lot of fun here. Now that the regular season is over, we get to kind of just shoot the shit about some you know in season stuff, some off season stuff. It's it's a bit you know we we've been so regimented throughout the season that we we finally get to kind of break out of that a little bit and have some fun. So. Uh, until Friday, when we get to those picks, make sure you're tuned in, especially, you know, if, if you are wagering, um, you know, bear with us here. It's, it's a lot of fun. I know we're not making a Michigan state pick this week, but you know, we have some fun with the picks and, and hopefully you guys enjoy that until Friday. Hope you guys have a great week and we will see you then go green, go white. Take care folks.